Um, no matter where you are, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. We're going we're gonna to get there in just a moment. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, hello, my name's Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here. If, hey, Scotty. Uh, that's Scotty. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're super excited. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, man, we know that you could be a lot of other places today besides fighting this crowd in this room. And thank you for your grace and patience. Shout out to our host team for doing just such a good job to how to help us get that. Um, we're still trying to find a new normal. If, if, if this, if you're feeling a little cramped, um, as of last week anyway, there's a little bit more room in our 11 than there is this one. We'll see how that plays out over the next few weeks. But thank you for your grace and your patience as, as we walk through this. Um, we're trying to, to, to work as best we can to accommodate. Um, and just grateful, man, that, that, that people want to come and worship with us. It's, it's humbling and, and, and we're, we're honored that you're here. And I want to remind you once again that, that church is so much more than Sundays. That to be a part of the body of Christ is to, is to not just sit in a crowd and in a row and just be nameless and, and not know people that, that build relationships, get to know people. And I know that's risky. And I know maybe there's some people in the room you've done that before and it didn't work out too well. And I can't guarantee you that we won't let you down either because we're not perfect. But we're going to try our best to love you well and to walk with you. And so um, there's, man, uh, we had men's community group this past Thursday night. And every single chair, I think, almost at every single table in the auditorium was full with, I think, almost 50 men in the house on that Thursday trying to grow deeper in their faith with Jesus and that's one of many community groups we have going on throughout the month. Make sure you take note of those things. I remind you, tonight is part two of our three-week Sunday night series on relationships. And we're talking about not, not just marriage, but relationships in general, because I've discovered that many of us are, are not really good at relationships. The reason why we're not good at marriage is because we're not good at relationships. The reason why we're not good sometimes at parenting is just because we've never seen healthy relationships up close. Come on. And so the Bible has a lot to say about healthy relationships. And so come hang out with us. If you didn't come last week, that's okay. Jump in tonight. Uh, if you can't come, if you didn't come last week, can't come tonight, come next week. Any part will help you and benefit you. And so make sure that you're a part of that with us as we journey through it together. But last week, we, we launched a series that we've called Promises. And no, this sweatshirt is not for sale. Unless you can talk Trey into buying that one. I think the going price is $9,000. I'm just kidding. I don't know. But we're doing, we're doing this series called Promises because this year, I, I want it to be a year that's, that's the game changer for us. And I think we all go into new, a new year hoping that that's the case, right? That on some level, something really begins to shift. But this year, it's not, about even, it's not just about declaring a belief in God. It's not just about deepening our affection for God. It's about demonstrating a trust in God. Because it's trust in God that causes everything to shift. It's when we decide to trust God that it begins to affect our everyday lives. That when we trust what scripture says is true, when we trust what God wants for us is actually what's best for us. When we trust that his way is better than our way. When we trust him over our culture, when we trust him over our own emotions and we walk in obedience born out of trust, that's when things in our lives begin to change. Come on, talk to me. Amen. Some of you know the moment that you, you know that moment when you didn't just believe in God. It just didn't have some measure of affection for God. When you decided in your spirit, in your heart, in your life, God, I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to trust you with my marriage. I'm going to trust you with my money. I'm going to trust you with my kids. I'm going to trust you with my career. I'm going to trust you with my road rage. Some of y'all are like, oh, I need that one. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust what your word says is true. Even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, I'm going to trust you. Because this is a reality that we're leaning into as we walk through this year. You will never consistently submit to a God you don't completely trust. And all the church said, amen. You will never consistently submit to a God you don't completely trust. And what I hope to prove to you and me over the next several weeks is he can be trusted. He can be trusted. I know there's a lot of people in this room that have trust issues, and rightly so, because what you've experienced in life, what you've walked through from the maybe the moment you came into this world, it's littered with people who said one thing and did another. Come on. People who said they were going to do something, said they were going to show up, said they were going to be there, said this thing was going to happen, and, and they didn't do it, and that chipped away at your ability to trust anything and anyone and it's now projected on the, on the God that I'm asking you to believe in. But what I want to remind you is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 is true. Let us hold unswervingly, which is a fun word to say, unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. He is faithful and he is true. And he has proven he will do what he promised. He has proven he will do what he promised. As we finished up this year, and God made it super clear in my heart that, that this was the series that we were supposed to lean into, and this was the subject that he has, was asking me to unpack. That word promises just came, came to mind. It stuck in my spirit, and I started to kind of do a deep dive into, okay, okay what has God promised? Because we've, we've all grown up singing songs and talking about like, he is the God of promise. He is a promiser. Promises are woven all throughout the scripture. And so for the last several months, I've just been kind of wading into the, the, the deep weeds of the word, trying to understand this idea of promises. And this word kept coming to the surface as I looked at the word promise. And it's the word covenant. That God has not just made promises to us, that God has extended to us an offer to live in a covenant relationship with him. Y'all with me? Say amen. All right. Disclaimer already. Uh, uh, this is going to be a little bit Bible nerd, okay? And I, and I know there's not a whole lot of Bible nerds in the room, maybe, but there's some Bible nerdy stuff that I'm going to get into. And I hope that by the time we're done, you can walk with me through the nerdy to get to the goody. What? You know what I mean? Like we can, because there's this nerdy Bible stuff that we don't, we don't lean into enough or appreciate in the modern church like we should, that when you truly begin to understand maybe the nerdy stuff of the Bible, the beautiful stuff begins to take root. That God is a God of covenant. And covenant is not a word that we, that we value in our culture. It's not one that we appreciate. Covenant has kind of only been isolated to one area of our lives, that's marriage, and we know how that's gone. But we're not unfamiliar to the concept of covenant. But from the beginning, God decided in order to bring redemption to the world, in order to eliminate the sin that separated us from him, 
that he needed to enter into a covenant with us in order to walk us toward that redemptive plan. And it started really in the garden when sin entered and he said to Adam and Eve, I will fix this, that through the womb of a woman, I will make this right. And that promise there led to him making another promise to a man when we meet him whose name is Abram. Because it would be through Abram, we know is now Abraham's descendants, that God would bring Jesus, his one and only son, to the world to pay for our sins. Y'all still with me? Say amen. So he comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And it said, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That when he comes to Abram, he says, I'm about to do something in and through you. I need you to leave everything you know, everything that's familiar, everyone that you're connected to, and I need you to go. And you know what the Bible says? Abraham obeyed and he went. And now it didn't start off real easy. It was kind of rocky. There were some difficult things. He had some situations with his family, some family drama. That's foreign to all of us, I know. By the time you get to Genesis 15, chapter one, verse six, it says this. Genesis chapter 15, start with verse one. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. In other words, Lord, you're not doing what you said you would. Verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son in your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and Abram believed and he credited to him as righteousness. He trusted God. Look at verse seven. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Then look at verse eight. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Essentially what Abram's saying is, is Lord, how, how can I know that I can trust you? Because you've already said this to me before and, and days have ticked by and time has gone on and nothing is happening. And this, this isn't, be careful to read this as Abram in a position of, of doubt or lack of trust. He's like, How, I need something to seal this promise. I need something to assure me that you're gonna do what you say you're gonna do. Y'all with me? Say amen. He says, how can I know? God, give it's like, tell me, like, how can I know this? And look at how the Lord responds. Verse nine says, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. What? Lord, how can I know? God's response, bring me a heifer. Bring me a cow. Oh, and also a goat and a ram, each of them three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. 
Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Verse 14, but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has yet reached its full measure. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. Now, if we don't understand what's happening here, it makes no sense. Abram says to God, God, how how am I going to know? Like, how, how do I know that what you're saying is going to happen? I need something to... Help me trust that what you're saying will come to pass. And God's response is a grocery list. He says, go get some cows, some rams, some birds, all this kind of stuff. And then Abraham cuts the pieces in half and he lays them one on each side and one on the other. And then he sits and waits. And it says he sat there so long that birds of prey begin to, the buzzards begin to circle over his head. And so he's waiting there, sitting, looking at these animals that he's just slaughtered. And some of us are like, what in the world is happening here? And the reason why Abraham doesn't seem confused though, does he? Because Abraham, Abram knows exactly what's unfolding, but we don't because we don't understand their culture. And you got to dig deep into this. Because what's happening, what's about to unfold is a covenant ceremony. When you made a covenant, when two parties make a covenant, there's always a ceremonial ritual that is walked through in order for both to declare the covenant. So they both understand what's necessary and what's a part and what's given in this covenant ceremony. And I I don't know that ever in my life had understood all this. The last few months, I started researching the idea of covenant. And and a guy who I got to meet and know is one of the greatest preachers of our time that maybe never heard of, Dr. Jim Garlow, who spent 20, 30 years unpacking the ancient rituals of covenant. And God began to teach me through his ministry all the beauty of what's happening here. Because see, when God's saying, okay, I'm going to make a covenant, you just didn't say, okay, we're going to make a covenant. That there, there was a, a ceremonial process that you would walk through in order to solidify that covenant, to show the meaning and beauty and power of it. It's just like now when we go into a covenant of marriage, we go through a ceremony. You spend $16,000 for a ceremony that lasts 16 minutes. Come on. You put on a dress, ladies. Guys, you get all dressed up or... Now it's just boots in a barn, which I love. That's more my style anyway. But you go through this process where you have family there and you walk down the aisle and you stand before your friends and family and you make vows. 
There's things that you say to one another. You exchange rings as a symbol of this marriage. Then you have a meal and you shove cake in each other's face and up each other's nose. It's a ceremony. And what's unfolding in Genesis is a covenantal ceremony of God saying, okay, Abram, I'm going to show you. I'm going to move into covenant with you and we're going to do a ceremony. And the reason why this isn't foreign to Abraham, to Abram, is because in this culture, these were common. See, that space between creation and when Abram finally comes on the scene, the world has been split, and there's people of, after the Tower of Babel that were, were scattered across the earth in different languages and war and conflict. And so people, tribes, nation, these, these individual tribes would go into covenant to one each other so that they would submit that, hey, we're going to be, we're going to do this together and we're not going to attack each other. And if somebody comes after you, they're going to have to come after me. And so these chiefs of these tribes would do covenant ceremonies to make a commitment to, to these two different people groups. And there were all kinds of really cool steps in this covenant ceremony. There were at least 10 that we know of, and not every covenant ceremony included all of them, but most included some of them. Like one of the things that would happen would be when these two chiefs would go into covenant with one another, they would exchange outer garments. And just like all of the ceremonial things that we have, like, like a wedding ring. You know why we give a wedding ring? It's a symbol. It's a circle. It's unending, broken. The covenant of marriage is supposed to be for a lifetime. It's a reminder that when you see this, you know, I'm, me and Ashley Smith are one. These, they would exchange outer garments. And it was to symbolize like the confusion of identity. So one chief would take off his royal robe and the other one would take off his and they would put it on. And so even when the tribes would see them coming, they'd be like, wait, that's, that's chief so-and-so. No, no, that's the different guy, but he's in his coat, but it looks like him. It was an exchange of identities. Y'all with me? Say amen. You would exchange outer garments to symbolize it. Now we're fusing, we're confusing our identities one with the other. They would also do what was known as the exchange of belts. And this is a symbolized that, that now we ex- we're exchanging like strengths or assets. That what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. So everything that's at your disposal is now at my disposal and vice versa. And what I have is yours and what you have is mine. And our assets and our strengths, they belong to one another. There would be the exchange of weapons They would exchange a knife or a sword or a bow to say, you know what? This is symbolizing that now your enemies are my enemies. That whoever's going to fight you is going to have to fight me. And whoever's going to fight me is going to have to fight you because we're in this together. We won. That means if you hit me, he's going to hit you. Somebody's got my back. There's an exchange of weapons. There would also be an animal sacrifice. Because there was always the shedding of blood. So that's what's happening in Genesis 15 is this animal sacrifice. And what they would do is they would cut these animals in half and they would put one on one side and one on the other bloody side up. And each of the chiefs would walk through, do a figure eight walk through those animal sacrifices. One would go, then the other would go. And that was known as the death walk. They're saying, basically, if I break this covenant, may I be like these animals. That if I, if I don't keep my end of the covenant that I'm making with you, may I be like them. And each one would take that walk. Then there would, there would be the mark. That, 
any, any of y'all, when you were little, you, you ever become blood brothers with a friend? Usually you just squirt ketchup in each other's hands and shake hands because you didn't really want to cut yourself. But you would, you would, you would, cut, your, you would cut yourself and, and the other party would cut themselves and they would take those two cuts and they would put those two, those two wounds together and blend them together saying, yeah, okay, once again, there's a mark. And they would, they would take this mark and they would do some things to ensure that it didn't heal properly so it would leave a scar. So that when anybody saw the mark, they would know that, hey, this dude's in covenant with somebody. So if I got to go against him, I'm not going just against him. I'm going against somebody else. It's even thought, it's, it's not for sure, but some people believe that this is where the whole concept of a wave came, while we wave at each other, because they would typically mark the wrist. And so if you saw somebody waving like this and you saw that, that scar on their wrist, you'd be like, uh-oh, it ain't just him. That he is in covenant with someone else. And there would be a moment where part of the ceremony, there would be blessings and curses. Where if we were in covenant together, I'd say, blessed are you if you, blessed are you and your household and your children and your children's children. If you hold up at this end of the bargain, may you prosper, may, you, may your crops grow. They would do that, obviously, and they, then they would do the reverse. They would give curses. That if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, may, may all these bad things happen to you. And then there would be a covenantal meal. They would share a meal together. And it was very first common for each chief to feed the opposite chief the first bite of the meal. That's where we get this whole wedding cake shoving up your nose kind of thing. You can thank these ancient tribal cultures. They would, they would share a meal to seal this and they would give the first bite of the meal one to the other. And then there would be an exchanging of names where basically they would, they would take each other's names on. Scotty, who was talking to me earlier, like if we went to a covenant, that now means my name would be Marty. Because Matt and Scotty would come together. Like we would, we would, this is literally what they would do. Y'all laugh. This is what they would do. They would, they, cause they would, they would exchange names and a, and a part of, a part of one covenant member's name would, would be fused in to the other part of the covenant's name. And I don't know, scat is what we call you, I guess. I don't know. So that's, that was part of this ceremony. So what's happening here and what you see unfold over the pages of scripture is God saying, okay, Abram, I'm going to prove to you. You know how you can know is because we're going to, we're going to go into covenant with one another. And you would see evidence of this all throughout this time. The mark, and I know in our culture and it's over-sexualized and all that kind of stuff, the mark of circumcision was part of the covenantal ceremony. And God chose to put it on a place where it would be known and, and understood and, and, under, and it would, every time that there would be procreation and you'd have the gift of creating life, you would remember that you're in covenant with the holy God. That's the mark of the covenant. They would exchange names. We don't know Abram as Abram. We know it as Abraham. That A-H. See, in, in the old original Hebrew, there were only consonants, no vowels. And so there was, there was two different kind of H sounds. There was like a guttural, like ha, and then there was ah, like breath, ah. And so God says, you're in, we're in covenant now, so you're no longer Abram, you're Abraham. I know it's nerdy, but it's cool. 
Like, and so when people said, hey, hey, Abram, he says, I'm not, I'm not Abram anymore. Well, what's your new name? Abraham. People, wait, what? That culture would have known that you, you fused your name with the name of God. And you know who, who God became known as? The God of Abraham took on his name. That all throughout the Old Testament, all these things that are happening are evidence that God's saying, hey, I'm in covenant with you in order to bring redemption to the world. That this is a covenantal ceremony that we are now moving together as one in order to bring about my plan in the world. You see evidence of of this type of ceremony all throughout the scriptures. Like in 1 Samuel chapter 18, do you remember this? Do you remember this moment that, that King David, eventually King David, has with his best friend, Jonathan? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, start with verse 1. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Look at verse 3. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. Verse four, Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Do you see it now? You'll never read that passage again the same way that you did before today if you didn't know what I was talking about before. Do you see? He says he goes into covenant with David, and what does he do? He just doesn't say, hey, shake my hand, we're having a covenant. No, he takes off his robe, his outer garment, and gives it to David. He takes off his bow and his sword. He hands him his weapons. He takes off his belt and gives it. You know what's happening? A covenant ceremony. It's a covenant ceremony. That that there is this covenant relationship that God says, the way that I'm going to prove that you can trust me as we're going to walk through the covenant ceremony. And now you, you walk in full assurance of all the benefits of being in covenant relationship with almighty God. But this Hebrews that we're reading says this covenant that we see in the Old Testament is just a shadow of what is to come. That when Jesus finally does come on the scene through the seed of Abraham, just as the covenant has promised, that he ushers in a a new covenant, a covenant that now we get to be a part of as well when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we believe and we trust in him for our salvation, when we accept his forgiveness offered through him for our salvation, you get to live in a covenant relationship with the same God that called Abraham into covenant relationship with him. And you get to experience the same benefits of walking in that relationship. It's evidenced that you get to walk in covenant relationship with Almighty God, which means you get to experience all the things. God says, give me your robe and take mine. Look at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. 
God says, let's exchange outer garments. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. That it's not a physical robe. It's a new spiritual one. He says, take off, take off the dirty rags of sin and put on a robe of righteousness because I paid for it. You get, you get to exchange outer garments with God because Jesus has ushered us into a new covenant. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your old way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, that when you live in covenant relationship with God, ushered in and made possible because of Jesus, you get to take on his, his new garment. You get to take on his identity. You no longer have to identify as addict, sinful, shameful. No, you get to identify as a born again child of God and all the benefits that come with that you've put on a new garment. Exchange outer garments. Look at 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, because he also says, you know what, now that we're in covenant relationship, we can also exchange belts, that we get to have access to the assets and strengths of God. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To read that makes no sense. To say, well, when you're weak, you're strong. It makes no sense unless you understand covenant. The reason why when I'm weak, I'm strong, because it ain't just me. I'm in covenant relationship with the almighty God, and the end of me is the beginning of him. Because I'm in covenant with God. It's who I get to be now. I have access to all the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. So because I'm in covenant relationship, because we've exchanged belts, I've given him this one. I bought an American Eagle and he's given me one from heaven. But he's also said that we've exchanged weapons, that we have access to the weapons of heaven. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with you, which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're in covenant relationship with God. Therefore, we have access to wage war with his weapons and not our own. I like y'all clapping because that means you're getting it. And he says, also, I'll take on your enemy. That we have an enemy that's working against us since the day we were born. And I know I'm not talking about the devil. I'm talking about death. The moment you draw breath in this world, you're dying. The guy says, your enemy, the greatest threat to you is death. I'm going to defeat that too. And that's what he did on the cross. He defeated death. He defeated that enemy because we're in covenant relationship with God. And we get to walk in all the promises that come with it. That's not all. There's more. See, part of this covenant relationship, again, was that animal sacrifice. We watch Abram, the first, the first thing that he says to do is to, to, to make a sacrifice, to cut these animals. These things had to be slaughtered. Blood had to be shed. Can I remind you of First Peter chapter 1 and the animal sacrifice that is Jesus Christ? First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There was an animal sacrifice. There was bloodshed. You say, Matt, okay, well, what about the walk of death? Have you ever noticed how often in the Gospels and the New Testament we're called to die to ourselves that we're taking this walk of death? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the words of Jesus. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will, be, will save it. But you got to die to yourself. you got to take that walk of death. What about the mark? What about the mark of circumcision in the Old Testament? Well, Paul says that circumcision in the New Testament is not a physical one. It's a circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. You say, Matt, what about blessings and curses? This is the one where we're only a part of the blessings and we don't have to be a part of the curses. You know why? Because Jesus took the curse for us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus became the curse. And this was revealed back in Genesis 15, that moment that we just saw earlier that maybe didn't make sense when you read it. Go back. Genesis 15, 17. Genesis 15, 17. Put it on the screen where I can see it. Remember what happened here? It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
Just, just leave, leave, that, leave that on the screen. Back, Amanda, leave that on the screen. Do you notice what happened? When, when God is ushering in this covenant ceremony with Abraham, what does he do right before the death walk between the pieces is about to happen? He's waited and he waited and he essentially puts Abraham, Abram in a coma. And Abram never walks the death walk. Why? Because somebody else would walk it for him. See, this is the beauty of our God. God says, I'm going to take both halves. Because see, another thing that could happen in this ceremony is instead of you walking it, a representative could walk it for you. And Abram loved, God loved Abram and loved us to know, Abram, I can't let you walk this path because brother, you'll never be able to keep up your end of the bargain. And if you don't, I'll have to kill you. Because when you don't keep up your end of the bargain, somebody will have to die. So he didn't let Abraham, Abram walk it. There's a smoking pot. All throughout the Old Testament, God was represented by, by smoke, right? By fire. The nation of Israel, the cloud. It says, but there's not just a smoking pot. There's a torch. There's a light. The light of the world. Woo-hoo! Walking the path that Abram couldn't, that you and I, somebody walked it for him. And that same someone is the one who died for us. There's Jesus right there, the second person of the Trinity, walking the death walk in the covenant ceremony, being our representative, which is why he was the one cursed, because we didn't keep our end of the bargain. It's why he took our punishment so that we didn't have to take it so that we could remain in covenant relationship with God. There was, there was one, those other things. There was the meal. The meal, Jesus in the upper room says, this is my body and this is my blood. He said, this is the meal still in this covenant. But there was one more step that was necessary. One more step that had to happen in order to seal the covenant. And that's the exchange of the firstborn sons. And it happens in Genesis chapter 22. After God has made good on his promise and Isaac is born And now by the time we think we get to Genesis 22, Isaac's not a little boy. Nobody knows this for sure, but there's some that speculate that when what I'm about to read is about to happen, guess how old some people think that Isaac was? 33. Do you remember how old Jesus was when he went to the cross? It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he took with him two servants and his son Isaac. Stop for just a minute. You notice Abraham does not resist. You know why? He knew this was part of the deal. He knew about covenant ceremonies. He knew that there would come a moment when this would be required in order for this covenant to be sealed. And Hebrews would tell us he went up there expecting him to die, but knowing that even if he died, God could raise him back to life. It says, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse four, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and arranged it with the very wood that Isaac had carried up. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't you lay a hand on that boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not held what you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. And Abraham looked and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And in that moment, it was sealed. He said, I know that you're willing to give up your son. So now you know what? I'll be willing to give up mine. That the one and only son of Abraham carried the wood himself up the hill prepared to die. And there was another son, the only son of God, that carried the wood of the cross up to the hill of Calvary. And he did die to seal the covenant that we get to have in relationship with God. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. You live. You get to live. You have the opportunity to live in covenant relationship with God and all that that means why because God does what he says you stand with me you bow your heads close your eyes it said that Abraham believed God he trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in the New Testament, the New Covenant says, it is by grace through faith, through trusting in God, that we are ushered in to this new covenant made possible because of all that Jesus did. And the only way for you to live in covenant, with the, in covenant relationship with the God of Abraham is through trusting what Jesus has done. And if you've never done that today, you don't have to pray some specific prayer. You don't have to regurgitate something I would give you. It says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. It means you take ownership of your sin. You know that you have sinned and that you're separated from God and you repent of that sin and you turn toward God and you ask him for forgiveness and you put your trust in him and you let him be Lord so that you can walk in covenant relationship with the same God that ushered in the promise to Abram thousands and thousands of years ago. So Lord, I pray that right now as we worship you, your spirit would sweep over this room 
and that hearts would begin to surrender, that knees would begin to bow, and people would understand the beauty and benefit of walking in covenant relationship with the living God. Have your way among us right now as our praise goes up. May your spirit fall down. In Jesus' name we pray.